You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. I want to welcome you to our study on James. We're in Lesson 10 uh, in our study together, and we're going to be in James Chapter 5. So if you want to go to James Chapter 5, we're going to read a few verses together. Actually, verses 1 through 6, it says, Look here, you rich people, weep and groan with anguish because of all the terrible troubles ahead of you. Your wealth is rotting away, your fine clothes are moth-eaten rags, your gold and silver are corroded. The very wealth that you were counting on will eat away at your flesh like fire. This corroded treasure that you have hoarded will testify against you on the day of judgment. For listen, hear the cries of the field workers whom you've cheated of their pay. The cries of those whose harvest your fields have reached the ears of the Lord of heaven's armies. You spent your years in earth in luxury, satisfying your every desire. You fatten yourselves for the day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed innocent people who do not resist you. Nothing more clearly reveals the state of a person's heart than their view of money and material possessions. Many who profess faith invalidate their faith because of how they view and handle material possessions. All throughout James's commentary, James presents test of genuine faith. And we've been talking about this all through this study on James, how James is constantly showing us the true test of faith is seen through the fruit of our lives. He says over and over, genuine faith is revealed and displayed through the fruit of a believer. Here James gives a blistering, I mean, this is a scathing denunciation here. I mean, just reading through this, when I was reading, I was like, wow, this is great to open up our our study on here. So I'm looking at this scathing denunciation that he gives of those who profess to worship God, but really, in fact, they worship money. The Bible does not teach that possessing wealth is sinful in and of itself. Clearly, God talks a lot about wealth. Jesus talked about money pretty much more than any other topic that he discussed. In fact, we all possess wealth. We all have material goods and wealth to one degree or another. Moses reminded the Israelites who were about to enter into the Promised Land in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, he said, The Lord your God, He is giving you the power to make wealth. And then in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 22, it says, The blessings of the Lord makes a person rich, and He adds no sorrow with it. So clearly, God is not against people having money. God's not against us having possessions and having things. And I'm happy about that. I'm grateful. You know, I I think that if God was against material possessions or against material wealth that the whole purpose of having us here on the earth and on this planet and making us steward over things will be absolutely purposeless. You know, God uh, clearly wants to train us through the things that we have so that he can test our hearts to make sure that we keep him first. And these are some things that we're going to look at here in James. So the Apostle Paul was talking. He talked about how the misuse, of, the misuse of one's wealth can be a real issue in your life. Paul said the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Now, James was a very wise man, and when he wrote this, he knew that there were going to be churches that he talked to 
that weren't necessarily churches that were walking in genuine faith. He realized that there would be churches who claimed to be Christian, but they were not Christian in their actions and in their attitudes. And even though they may have outwardly professed faith in Christ, their focus on earthly treasure betrayed them. It showed that they really weren't the Christians that they were claiming to be. A lust for money and a lust for possessions betrays their allegiance to Jesus, the one whom they claim that they put first in their life. There's always going to be people who are real and authentic, and I want to be one of those people. You know, that's one of my prayers is that, you know, God, I I want to be a real, authentic Christian. When people look at me, I want them to see Jesus in my life. I think that should be a goal that all of us have in our life is that when people see us or people that encounter us, they see that we're living it and we're doing what God has called us to do. But we also know that in life there are going to be fakers. There are just going to be people that pretend to be something that they're not. They're plastic. And that is revealed through how we live our life and how we act. Jesus told a a real shocking story in Luke chapter 16. And I want you to go there with me. Luke chapter 16, verse 19 Uh, We're going to look at this together. It's a very interesting parable, and it really gives some insight to the afterlife that um, a lot of people hadn't had up to this point. So in Luke chapter 16, verse 19, Jesus said, There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen and who lived each day in luxury. So he's talking about a guy who he lived his life just very wealthy and rich. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. So this man was in a really bad shape. He was a beggar. He didn't have anything in life. And he was sitting outside of this rich man's gate, hoping to gain something from this rich man. Finally, the poor man died and he was carried off by the angels to sit beside Abraham in a heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and he was buried and he went to the place of the dead. There in torment, he saw Abraham from a distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything that you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. Another example I think that we can look at in Scripture that illustrates the importance of not investing too much of our intention in earthly wealth and earthly things is found in Ecclesiastes. Solomon, clearly we all know that Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. Solomon tells us a little Um, I guess kind of a a project that he took on, kind of a study in human nature. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 4, he says, I have also tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I've made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of beautiful fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I've I've owned large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who has ever lived in Jerusalem before me. 
I've collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasures of many kings and provinces. I've hired wonderful singers, both men and women. I've had many beautiful concubines. I've had very, everything that a man could desire, I've had. He said, I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. So Solomon, he acquired all of these things, probably stuff, you know, we think, man, I wish I, I, I had this, or I wish I had that, or I wish I had their home, or I wish I had their car, I wish I had their stuff, I wish I had their job. You know, we all have to be careful about coveting, and Solomon was clearly a guy that you could look at and, and fall into the temptation to covet what he had. But I want you to listen to what Solomon said. The evaluation of his pursuit shows what a waste of time, earthly treasures, and self-indulgence is. In verse 11, he says, But I looked at everything that I had worked so hard to accomplish. It was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So Solomon said, after having all of this stuff, none of it fulfilled me, none of it met that void in my heart, that that place that only God can fill. All that stuff could not fulfill that for Solomon. Now listen, wealth can be a blessing. It can. And I I mean, I love the fact that we live in a place where We can have jobs and we can earn money and we can buy things and we can go on vacations. It's a blessing, no doubt about it. Wealth is a blessing. But that can only be true of those who are also rich in faith and rich toward God. Because you get things out of line when you don't have God first in your life when it comes to handling your wealth. Paul gives a charge to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6. Timothy is a young man. He's uh, running the church. And Paul warns Timothy in chapter 6, verse 17 of 1 Timothy. He says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money that is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who gives richly to all of us in our need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, being ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. See, God wants to bless us, but he wants to bless us so that in turn we can be a blessing to other people that are around us. Scripture says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So whatever it is that our heart is being drawn to, clearly that's what we are putting the most significance on. For a Christian to be stingy, for a Christian to be greedy toward people, for a Christian to hold back their tithes and their offerings from God, being unwilling to help other people when they need help, it's a real indication that wealth has taken an elevated place in our life and took a seat that really God is supposed to be sitting in. And you know, I don't think there's any greater way to live 
free than giving, than blessing people. But it is a real temptation for all of us. You know, we, we live in America. We live in a very blessed place. And I think it's really, really easy for us to begin to put our confidence in our material possessions instead of putting our confidence in God and trusting in Him. I think it's especially easy during this time that we're all facing in our country at the time of this uh, filming of this video. We're dealing with COVID-19. And uh, boy, we're right in the middle of it right now. And a lot of people have um, lost a lot of money in the stock market and in, in their investments and in their IRAs and in their 401ks, things that they were depending on. A lot of people have lost thousands and thousands of dollars. And I think it's especially easy uh, during this time to walk in fear, um, to walk in a lack of faith, to try to put our confidence in things that they don't need to be placed in. And, you know, I was just having a conversation with our lead pastor the other day, and I just said, you know, it's amazing how God uses circumstances and situations in our life to prune our hearts and to reveal to us where we have placed our trust and where we have really placed our confidence. And I want to encourage you, put your trust and your reliance in God as your need meter, not in your retirement fund, not in your 401k, not in your IRA, not in any of those things, because clearly all of that can change in an instant. That's exactly what Paul told Timothy, and I think it's something for all of us to look at. Well, leading right into dealing with this situation that we're currently in, James goes on in chapter 5 in verses 7 through 12 talking about dealing and facing trials with patience. <laughs> now, this is not my strong area, okay? Um, I am not a patient person by nature, and I'm just going to make that confession for everybody to hear. I, I work at being patient, um, but, you know, for me, I wanted everything yesterday. Nothing happens fast enough for Paul Kern. And so it's a constant struggle for me to make sure that I'm working at being a patient person. Well, clearly James knew that really human nature, we're just not patient. And that's why he talks about it here in this letter. James chapter 5 verse 7, read with me. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look to the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patient and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him, and the Lord is full of tender mercy. But most of all, my brothers and sisters, never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just let, let your Yes be yes, and your no be no, so that you will not sin and be condemned. Trouble is an inevitable part of life, and it is a universal experience as it reflects the reality that we all live in a fallen, cursed world. As a matter of fact, Job said in Job chapter 5, verse 7, a man is born for trouble and sparks fly upward. 
In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, Have I told you all this so that you may have peace in me? Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13, Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that you are currently facing, as if some strange thing were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in His suffering so that you will have a wonderful joy of seeing His glory when He is revealed to the whole world. Nothing more clearly reveals this truth than the fact that the entire world right now is facing COVID-19. I mean, it is a universal problem. And so clearly, we can see the result of the fall of man as sickness and disease is infecting our entire planet. All of us are dealing with this. All of us are facing this together. James realized that all of us, when we face trials, when we face difficulties and sufferings, we're all tempted to want to become impatient and just give up, just quit. There's, I remember when I was a young Christian and I was just starting out in the Lord and you know, I was trying to live my life for God and things were happening. And I would get so exasperated. And there, I remember there were times early in my walk with God that I just wanted to quit. I just said, this just too hard. I just can't do it. You know, I would fail and make a mistake. And I'd just say, what's the point? You know, I just keep messing up. We all risk losing patience with our circumstances. We risk losing patience with people. And we risk losing patience with God. We become tempted to just want to throw in the towel, to get a bad attitude. So recognizing that danger, James encourages us to be patient in the midst of persecution and in trouble. Now, it's important for all of us to develop patience with our circumstances and with people. This is a real sign of spiritual maturity when you can endure under long suffering. It's just such a clear sign that you have deep roots. You know, Jesus talked about the word being planted in the soil, the seed being scattered, and, and it talked about there was a seed that fell in shallow ground. And when the sun came and, and it began to beat against that young tender shoot that it dried up and withered and died because its roots weren't very deep. But when our roots go deep, we're like a tree planted by a stream. Through every season of life, we can continue to bear fruit because we're rooted deep in God. He, James uses an illustration also of a farmer. He talks about how a farmer patiently waits for the early and the late rains. Now, this just shows how patient a farmer had to be because the, the early rains in Palestine arrived in October and November, and the late rains would arrive around March and April. So that's a long wait. That's many months that you have to wait for the early rains and then the rain kind of stops for a long period of time and then you got to wait for the, the late rains. And just as the farmer waits patiently throughout the entire growing season of his crop, you and I have to wait patiently for the return of the Lord. <clears throat> and the older that you get, the, the more expectation that you have of seeing him but we all have to wait patiently for the returning of the Lord as we endure under trial. Living with difficult circumstances can cause you to become frustrated. 
Well, especially, you know, if it's a, if it's a prolonged sickness that you're dealing with um, or possibly a loss of a job or a family member who's really struggling in sin and they just can't get their life together or maybe it's a friend who has fallen away from the faith and man, they've just, you know, you're praying for them, you're praying for them, they're praying for them, but that you just can't seem to get them to come around and it just goes on and on and on. It becomes very difficult for us to wait patiently as we go through these things. We become frustrated, we lose patience, we begin to complain. I think all of us at this point are experiencing this situation even in our own life. You know, it started out, we're going to have a couple of weeks delay, and man, now we're a couple of months into this, and it's just like, okay, is this going to end? What is going to happen? When is this all going to change? Living with difficult circumstances is something that can grow you. And as a believer, what we want to do is we want to partner with God and allow that to grow us in our faith so that our faith will be genuine and strong and real. Giving into frustration and losing patience, not only will it cause you to complain and murmur against people, it can cause you to complain and murmur against God. And, you know, I think probably when we find ourselves being frustrated with God or complaining to God, that should be a red flag for all of us showing us that, look, hold up now, your attitude, your heart is not in the place that it needs to be. And allow that to bring us back to a place of putting our confidence and our hope and our trust in the Lord. James said, be careful in your complaining that you don't judge because if you judge, you will be judged. God's blessings don't necessarily come to people who do great things, but to people who endure. I mean, just hanging in there and not giving up and not quitting. You know, so many things that I have overcome and I've won in wasn't necessarily because I did an overwhelming job at it. I just didn't quit. I just stuck it out and I stayed with it until ultimately, finally, I won out because perseverance will always win out over time. Those who receive the greatest blessings in life, it's not those who endure, it's those who, I mean, it's those who endure. It's those who hang with it and they go to the end and receive what God has for their life. James chapter 5, verse 13 through 18 says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anoint you in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. All of you have committed, and if any of you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Verse 16, confess your sins to each other. Pray that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Elijah was a human as we are, yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield its crops. James says the antidote for suffering is prayer. And boy, I tell you, there's no greater thing that we can be doing right now with all that we have going on in our country and around the world than to pray. In the face of suffering, God is our source of strength. And God wants us to tap in to prayer. Man, I'll tell you, I've spent a lot of time here lately, more, more so than even I normally do, 
spending time praying. I want all of us to recognize that our first weapon against the temptation of giving up or becoming impatient or being frustrated, the first thing that we have against it is prayer. That's what God's given us. The thing that I've noticed most when people face very difficult situations in life, though, is instead of going to God in prayer, that's when they tend to turn away from God. They tend to allow what it is that they're going through to overly frustrate them, affect their attitude, and then they just shut down and they don't pray. That's the time that we need to be praying. Clearly, that's the time that we need to be seeking God. There's times in your life where you hit bottom, and boy, I tell you, you just, you're struggling. Well, James says at that point in time, you go to other people and you seek their help. You look to them for help and guidance and prayer to build you up and to help you. I can't tell you the number of times that I've called people and asked them, hey, man, will you pray with me? Will you be in agreement with me over this? I've had a lot of people as of late with all this going on and being a pastor, I've had a lot of people call me. Man, I'm just really concerned about this. My mind's not where it needs to be. Here, speak some faith to me. Speak some truth to me. Encourage me. Pray with me. And that's exactly what we need to do. The Bible says confess your sins one to another to find healing. I think too many people wait until their problems just drag them completely down. They just let their problems completely overwhelm them. And then they get into the depths of defeat because they isolate themselves from the body of Christ. And I really want to encourage you, you know, especially right now, if you're dealing with fear, if you're struggling with this, call a friend, get on the phone, let them pray with you, Zoom somebody, you know, spend some time FaceTiming, connect with people, let them speak faith into you and let them pray over you. Our connections are so important. And even though that we are social distancing at this time, we can all connect with one another by text, by phone, by FaceTime. There's all kinds of great ways that we can do that today, and I certainly encourage you to do that. The last part of James is in James chapter 19 and 20. The, the, The last couple of verses, he talks about how to respond to brothers and sisters in Christ who fall away. And I, and I don't want to speak anything negative over anybody, but I'm, I'm sure there's probably a lot of people right now um, that are really tempted to fall away. And I think as believers, we need to be especially attentive to that, and we need to be sensitive and pay attention to that. James chapter 19, uh, verse 19 says, My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save the person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. There's always going to be moments in our lives that we see people that we know, that we love, that we did life with fall away. You know, I've been a Christian for over 30 years now, and I've seen a handful of people who were following Jesus, uh, they fell away. And I've gone to bars and sought them out. Um, I've called them up on the phone. I've gone to their homes and visited them encouraging them, trying to motivate them back into the fold. And I think that's all of our responsibility. People, when they get under difficult times, that's when they're most tempted to make mistakes and fall away. And the scripture's clear that it's God's heart that we reach out to them and we try to help them navigate that difficult season in their life. You know, you'd be surprised how much influence that you could have on one person just by getting on the phone and calling them, 
just by going over to their house, just by having a lunch with them or sending a, a text. It's, it's amazing what that can do. You know, there's people who are, you know, thinking about quitting, thinking about giving up. People who are thinking about take, even taking their own life, they're under such duress. And as we reach out and we're sensitive and patient with those brothers and sisters in Christ, the Bible says that we can restore them and help them. Our goal is to win back a person, not win an argument, not a theological argument, not get our point across. I think we have to always remember that people are the point of God's heart, not an argument or a theological truth or principle. Not saying that those aren't important. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that people are who Jesus died for and people are who we ought to be concerned for. I think it can be easy to forget that sometimes when we're in the middle of things, but that's God's heart in these moments. God's heart is for people. God's heart is for people to be restored. God's heart is for people who need help. Being patient under trial with one another is so vitally important because lots of times we're the only God that some people ever see. How we treat people and how we respond to people often reflect what God's heart would look like to them. Being patient under trial, it's so important for each one of us as we go through our daily walk. As I close, I want to encourage you, put God first in your life, especially during this season, you know, whether it be with your finances or whether it be with your future, whether it be with your health. Put God first, trust Him, endure under trial, and remember, People are what matter. People are what are important to God. God bless you. We love you. We're praying for you. And we'll see you next time. You have been listening to the CMC podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.